Well, good morning. You know, we have, as humans, an amazing ability. We can actually hold very contradictory emotions at the same time. So like right now, I find myself celebrating. I can't help but celebrate when you see 49 people who would say, Jesus has given me hope, has given me life, and I've chosen to become his followers. That is an, excuse me, an incredible day, amen? But at the same time, I find my heart grieving because we've heard of the attack of terrorist groups on the land of Israel. If you are new around Beltway Park, um, you know, I want to let you know that when, when people give here, we don't just use what is given for here. 35% of every dollar given this year goes to what we call missions and outreach. That is sharing God's love with the nations. It is sharing God's love in Abilene. And we have several partners that are actually in the land of Israel. And I I was remembering um, this past May when I was in Israel with a group and I was on the roof of a building in Ashdod, which is really close to where the primary part of the action is happening. And we were praying for all the things that God wants to do in the work of God, praying for the people of that region. And to now know that the people that I was joining hand in hand with are having to run their kids into bomb shelters. And they're having to grieve the loss of loved ones because of the attacks. And Uh, Even though I'm not near as close to people in Gaza, so there are followers of Jesus in Gaza. And there are Arab people in Gaza who did not bring this about. And yet now their whole lives are in turmoil. And my heart is overwhelmed. And I, I, I know we as a people all the way here in Abilene, Texas, feel helpless. And I know we say, well, let's pray. And he and, and we say prayer is powerful, and yet there's a part of us that feels like prayer is not enough. But I just want to challenge it. It is. There's a work of God, and there's a move of God. I want you to know that our partners over there are doing things right now. Like one of our partners has said, what we're going to do is we're going to start creating packets to put in bomb shelters. Because you think about it. You grab your kids, you run to a bomb shelter. What do you do with your kids? for hours sitting in a bomb shelter. Is there enough food in there? Is there enough activity? All that. So they're going to just start creating packets and put them in bomb shelters until the war is older. Guess what? We're going to send them funds because of you. We're going to send them money so that they can do that and they can share somehow in the midst of one of the darkest things you can hear about, which is war. They're going to share the love of Jesus and the incredible grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you, stuff is happening, but I, I just felt compelled as a people. South Campus, North Campus, our online family, even if you're kind of tuning in later than a live service, can we stop a moment and just ask God to bring peace where it seems impossible right now? Can we take God at his word where he says in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Can we stop and just say, God, we need you to do a work in the midst of governments, in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all the stuff, we need you to move. So would you bow your heads and let's just, come on, just say, God. Father, our hearts ache. I can't can't begin to fathom what it's like to grab my kids and run to a bomb shelter. I can't fathom what it's like to wake up and know somebody has broken into my home and killed a loved one. And I don't know what it's like to have my spouse be called up into reserve duty and go to war. Those are things that have never happened to me, Lord, but it's happening to people we love. 
Some of us know them, some of us don't, but we can pray, God, would you intervene and stop this thing? We need you to stop war where it is happening all over the world. We need it to stop in Ukraine. We need to stop in uh, Azerbaijan. We need it to stop, Father, all over the world. We need you to intervene, but we pray specifically for the land of Israel. It doesn't shock us, Lord, with so much that you're going to do in the world through the Jewish people. It doesn't surprise us that there's so much turmoil and so much the enemy wants to do. We ask, oh God, that you would not just bring peace between um, groups of people. But I'm asking, Father, that you would use what the enemy meant for evil and you would do good. That you would open the eyes of Jewish men and women to the reality of the love that you have for them and their Messiah, Yeshua. That you would open the eyes of Arab men and women and they would know the reality of what you have for them in Jesus. That they could receive everything. Use this time to not just bring peace physically in the land, not just between governments and entities, but bring peace to human hearts as you have brought peace to our souls through Jesus. Impart that in this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for that. Would you continue just as you think about it? You're going to read the news. I'm just asking when you read the news, you pray. If you want to know what to do with news, you pray the news. If you'll pray the news, it'll be effective, okay? You know, it was a couple of years ago that I was having like a normal Saturday. Here's how normal it was. I was going to get dry cleaning. Okay, there's nothing spiritual going on. To be honest with you, didn't have a great quiet time that morning. And on the way to get the dry cleaning, I had this random thought hit my brain. Call, and I had the name of a person, first and last name. And I sat there and I wrestled with the idea for a little while. He's a friend, but to be honest, it's not a friend I talk to a lot, don't call a lot, nothing like that. But somebody I would call a friend, it wouldn't be too awkward. I was about to blow it off and I had this very spiritual thought hit me. What's it going to hurt? So I hit Siri, said call, called his last name, mobile phone, etc. And I said, hey, I had this thought that I just needed to call you. And all of a sudden he entered into a dialogue real quick. Talked about how his whole family was over at the house, how we're um, just starting to grieve in all this. We're going to start about to go and plan a funeral. All this talk like I knew what was going on. And I said, whoa, whoa, hey, dude, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. Did someone in your family die? And he goes, oh, yeah. He said, my dad went to be with the Lord last night, Pastor. That's why I thought you were calling. To which I said, man, I, I, I'm so, so sorry, but I had no idea. I just had this thought out of nowhere I was supposed to give you a call. I have a question for you this morning. And it's a question I don't want you to answer too quickly. Because there is, in my opinion, a right answer we're going to discuss but if we answer a certain way, the implications for us are massive. You ready? Was my random thought out of nowhere God? Or was it just a happy coincidence? Another question. If you believe, possibly, that my random thought out of nowhere was God, do you believe that that should be somewhat normative in the life of Jesus' followers? Or is it a rare thing that happens to rare people? You know what I'm saying. You might think, yeah, I could do something like that, but that is the purview of the professionals, man. That's the pastors and the missionaries and people like that. That's not everyday Joes like me. Now, I don't know how you answer any question, but before you give the final answer to any of the questions, let's do the radical. 
Let's listen to what Jesus had to say about this subject because we want to develop our thoughts and our theology, not based on experience, but we base them on the word of God. Amen? One of the most overwhelmingly good passages, I believe, in all the Bible is the 10th verse, 10th chapter of John. Jesus says, the thief come only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. So the enemy uses sin to rob, to destroy, and to demolish everything God designed us to have. The enemy uses sin to keep us yoked in slavery. But Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead so that we could be free to live as God originally designed us to live. Jesus said, Jesus promised, it's right here, that we are made for more. But like every promise in the Bible, it doesn't just happen. It's not like automatic. We have to possess the promises that God has given to our life by taking steps of faith. And Jesus actually outlined those steps of faith earlier in the chapter. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now in that day, shepherds would take their sheep out to graze uh, in the hills all around the Jerusalem area, actually all over Israel. Then at night, one of two things would happen. One, they might stay out in the fields and let them continue, the shepherd would watch them. Or on some nights, several shepherds would get together, bring their flocks to a centralized location and put them in a pen. They would then hire a night watchman who could guard the sheep while the shepherds caught some shut-eye. You know what I'm saying? Now, you don't have to have a doctorate in sheep to know that if you take several flocks of sheep, put them in one pen, they're gonna do what? They're gonna to mingle together. Several flocks are gonna become one big flock. The next morning, a shepherd gets up early, he's gonna take his sheep out early to do all sorts of things, and he has to get his sheep from among the flock of sheep that has been created. How does he get his sheep? See, we think like Western heritage people. We think like cattle. So we think, oh, the sheep have to have a brand. So he's going to go find his brand. He's going to cut them out. Maybe he uses a cutting horse. We do stuff like that, right? And we do all this stuff. No, no, no. What he does, according to the text, is he goes to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper opens the door for him. Then the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them. Not drives them, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes where? Before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger, they don't follow the stranger. They don't know his voice. In fact, they're going to flee from him because they don't know his voice. So, shepherd gets up early, has to get his sheep. He's ready to go beat the crowds out. He goes to the gate. The gatekeeper says, yep. And he begins to call his sheep by name. And the fool takes off walking. And what happens? One sheep after another sheep after another sheep just take off walking. But only his sheep. Because his sheep know that voice. That voice leads me to water. That voice leads me to food. That voice leads me to safety. See, shepherds don't drive their sheep. They lead their sheep. And they do it how? They do it by speaking. Man, Jesus could not be any clearer to you and I. More abundant life is found as we hear and follow the voice of God. So I want you to let that sink in. 
every follower of Jesus, if you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, confess him before men like people did today through baptism, you're his. You can. You should hear the voice of God. A few verses later, the one right after Jesus promising abundant life, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So what Jesus did on the cross enables us to become a sheep in the flock of the good shepherd. If we say yes to be his follower. And the amazing news is this. Once we become his sheep, the sheep hear his voice. We have this capacity in us and abundance more. Somebody shout more. More is found as we hear and follow the voice of the shepherd. But even as we talk this way, something else starts entering our head. Because some of us, it's normal in our culture, but among us right now, some of us are thinking, Pastor, you're moving into the world of the muy loco right now. Dude, you're moving into the world of the crazy. Come on. Now, I find this interesting because if I ask you, do you believe that the things written in the Bible actually happen? You go, yeah. Like Christmas story. You believe the Christmas story happened? Do you know how the Christmas story happened? All by God speaking. How did Mary know she was going to get pregnant? An angel. How did Joseph know it was okay to marry her? A dream. How did the shepherds know that they were supposed to go and worship? An angel. How did the Magi know they were supposed to go to a place? A star. If I said those things today, you go, dude. Muy loco, right? You're moving into the weird world. And I find this interesting because the scripture says Jesus Christ is the same. Somebody shout same. Same yesterday, which includes Bible days. Today, Abilene, Texas, big country, and even into tomorrow, the God who still did, who still does. He's still doing what he did in days of old. Our struggle, the voice that keeps hitting us is the voice of culture. I was watching during the pandemic, I binge watched House. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I did it. And I was watching a show and the main character, Gregory House, summed up our culture well when he said, if you talk to God, you're religious. If God talks to you, you're psychotic. That's the norm of our culture. Now, please hear me. Have I ever run across mentally ill people who manifest themselves with delusions of God talk? Far more than probably most of us. I was a young man, I think I was 21 years old, I was an intern in Michigan. A lady picked up a hitchhiker on the interstate. We talked to her later about not doing that. She thought that hitchhiker needed God, so instead of telling him about Jesus Christ, she brought him to me. We sat across the table, we were talking, I felt like, man, something was off. All of a sudden the guy turned, his eyes were big, they weren't blinking, and he said, God just told me to kill you. I am not exaggerating that at all. Man, I was quick, I came back with a spiritual answer. I said, he did not. And we called the local law enforcement. They came, got him back on the interstate. Guys, I, I, I get the mentally ill. Had a great person in our church in Lubbock that um, had some struggles mentally. And things got off, and he actually went out one day, ran through the neighborhood without any clothes on, put his hand through a garage window and sawed his arm off. All because of God talk. Guys, I, I, I get the struggle. And I know that there are people who aren't mentally ill, but there's people who actually use um, the idea of God talk to abuse people and to take advantage of people. I, I get it. May I tell you 
that anything of God has been abused and misused. There's not, there's not anything out there. The church of old actually created a phrase of it. In Latin, they said, abusus non tolit usum, which means abuse does not negate use. Like I could take fire right now and destroy your home with it, and that would be an abuse. But there is good use of fire to cook and to heat our homes. And I'm gonna tell you, there are gifts of God that have been abused, but a gift from God such as his voice can be true, good, and free. In fact, ne necessary despite the ways it has been used or misabused. We don't get rid of the gift because of the way man has abused it. Will you listen to me? Not everyone who believes God speaks is crazy. Can I be even more radical? You're not going to find the more of God without learning to hear God speak. You say, David, I don't know that I can buy it. Then you've got to do something with the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus who said, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. If we want to go to more, we got to follow him. And the way he leads is by speaking. But we could invert this and think, how incredible is this? We, God has done such an incredible work in me that the God of the universe would speak to me and he would lead me into a place of more. It's not just the purview of the professionals. It's not just the mystics who spend hours in intercession. Every sheep has the capacity to hear the voice of God. Now, you have to learn it. Have you ever discovered how kids born into the world naturally have this amazing ability of languages? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. We don't see it as much in the United States because we are a, a monolinguistic mono culture. But the other day, my daughter had a friend visiting from college, and she now has a toddler. And I noticed that the mom was speaking to her in Spanish. And I knew exactly what was going on, so I asked the mom, I said, does your husband speak to her in English? And she goes, yeah. And here's what will happen. Mom will speak to her in Spanish, dad will speak to her in English, and by the time she's four or five, she'll be bilingual. So, dinner table. Mom's speaking in Spanish, dad's speaking in English, they're going back and forth, and she has this capacity born into her to be able to discern between the two different languages, and she will actually put it together. Because God made them that way. If you tried it now, it would not happen wouldn't create. I know children in Israel by age six speak in three languages because it's just the way God made them because they've heard those three languages all the time. When you are born again, God has given you a capacity, if I may, to listen to the heavenly language. He's giving you a capacity to hear and voice and understand it, but it doesn't just happen automatically. It's something we have to learn and we have to grow in. Now, to be brutally honest with you, what I'd love to do right now is go through all the ways God speaks to us, but we don't have that much time. We don't have the ability to do that. So what I've done is on your notes. I've, I've referenced a sermon series I did during COVID. Nobody remembers anything that happens during COVID, so you can go back and listen to that. There's also a book I recommend to you, lots of good books about hearing God. I gave you the one that is my favorite. I'll be honest with you, it is a big boy, big girl book. Okay, not overwhelming, but it's a big one. If you pick it up, you're going, oh my goodness, and it doesn't have any pictures in it whatsoever. I don't even think it has a chart. Lots of Bible, lots of scripture. It's one of the best books. It's written by a friend of mine. I absolutely trust it. And what you can do is dive in at a later time. And I would encourage you, you need to dive in deeper. But I want to hit two ways. The two foundational ways that I think God speaks to us today, the most common ways he speaks to us. First and foremost, listen to me. 
the scripture. The Bible is God speaking to all people at all time in history. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, say all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Another translation says profitable, I love that word, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it could be said right now that what I'm saying, my words are David-breathed. What I mean is this, for me to speak, I have to take air and pass it over my vocal cords. It causes my vocal cords to do the things that God designed them to do. And so when I'm speaking, it is David breathed. Scripture is what? God breathed. Scripture isn't just a book to be studied. It's a voice to be heard. Every time you open it, you hear it. And what the Spirit will do is he will take these words that are timeless and he will make a kairos moment out of them and he will apply them to your life if we will just listen. The Word of God is foundational to hearing God. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, every other means of hearing God is filtered. It's tested and discerned through Scripture. If we are not going to be a people of the book, then we do not need to be trying to hear God in any other way. Are you listening to me here? This is a little radical. See, the Bible itself said God speaks through impressions. I'll tell you about that in a moment. He speaks to us through dreams and visions, through prophetic words from other people, through angelic visits. There are several ways that God speaks that you can dive into later. But all of those are tested and discerned through Scripture. And if we're not engaging the Scripture, if we're not growing in the Scripture, then we are actually setting ourselves up to be deceived. Jesus himself said that there are going to be false Christ and false prophets. Prophets are people who speak supposed words of God. And they will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. They're going to be powerful. Notice, Jesus doesn't say that the false Christ and the false prophets are not real. He said they are false. There is a difference between not real and false. Listen to me. The devil speaks. The enemy speaks. Call that psychic number late in the night and start getting a word. That word may be accurate. They may know things about you that no one else could know. And I'm going to tell you, it is real. It is false. How do I know it's false? False does not mean real or not real. False means is it from the true God or from another source? And there are going to be false Christ, false prophets that appear, and we have to be a people who can discern whether they are true or false. You say, David, how do I discern? The book. David, I don't know that I know the book that well. Guess what you ought to do? See, all of a sudden, that... Engaging the scripture on a regular basis at daily quiet time is more than just a, ah, maybe I should. There's all sorts of voices in the world. Every time those TV shows talk, it's a voice. It's a philosophy. Those movies have philosophies. That music we listen to has, philo has philosophy in it. It has ideology. We discern based upon the word of God. We've got to be a people of the book. But it's not just things as large as false prophets as false Christ. It's like daily lives. What do you do with the random thoughts? 
couple years ago, a lady approached me. I was here at the South Campus. It was for prayer after service. And she said, Pastor, I need you to pray that I would have courage to do something God's leading me to do. You know, Russ, nothing excites me any more than people saying, I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm like, whoo, let's pray. Let's call it down. Let's call it in. I'm ready. I said, what did God lead you to do? And she said, well, God has told me to divorce my husband so I can be married to the one that he has for me. My excitement went down a little bit. And I, 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 I tried to be really nice and I said, well, explain this a little bit more to me. And she said, well, I made a mistake when I married my husband and he's not the one. And I need to divorce him so I can find the one that God has for me so I can be happy and glorify him. And as nice as I knew how, I, I said, ma'am, can you show me in the Bible where it says that God has one that we're supposed to marry? And she was shocked that I would even question her leading but then she had to confess, well, I don't, I don't know the Bible that well. And I don't know of any place that it says there's one I'm supposed to marry. Does the Bible ever say that? And I was like, man, I hate to tell you this, but the Bible nowhere says there's one that we're supposed to marry. And I began to talk to her about marriage and what the Bible said about marriage. And I used this word, beautiful word, covenant. And I talked about covenant. And she told me a little bit more of her story. And I said, I'm going to be a little bold with you right here. I said, I don't think the voice you heard to tell you to divorce your husband was God. I think it was the devil. And I think the devil was trying to rob, steal, and kill from you. And I know that because I know the book. And the book would tell you to go the narrow path. And it would tell you to go the hard path that you have to rely upon the strength of God. And it would tell you to be a woman of God who honors covenant. And so, Yeah. I would recommend some counsel. I would recommend trying to re-engage. We talked about all the things we're going to do. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for you. I didn't ask her if I could pray for her. Probably should have. But I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. You ready? And she didn't have the guts to say no. And so we bowed our heads. And I laid hands on her. And I prayed that she would walk the path God had for her. How did I know that? I know what the Bible says about marriage. And I knew the enemy was trying to bring deception to her in life. Listen to me. You can hear God, and it has to be founded in the Word of God. Makes learning and engaging the Bible of utmost importance. But the Bible itself says, after we engage the Scripture, it's not the only way God speaks. There are other ways that he speaks. Like Nehemiah 2, verse 12. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Question, what does it mean for God to put something in your heart? See, while you're thinking about it, another verse. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. What does it mean to have God stir up your spirit? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. What does it mean to know something in your spirit? Paul looked directly at a sick man and saw that he had faith to be healed. Come on, how do you see faith? See, I think these are all ways of expressing what we might call an impression. See, an impression is a thought. It's an idea that comes from God. Now, you're starting to wrestle right now because we all know ourselves and we know impressions aren't infallible. I have all sorts of thoughts. Some scholars believe that we have up to 50,000 thoughts a day. So how do I know if a thought is from me, from the devil, or from God? Those are your three possible sources. Myself, the flesh, the devil, listen to me. The devil speaks. What is a temptation? 
if not the voice of the enemy seeking to get you to rebel against God. Is that not what he did to Jesus? By the way, how did Jesus respond to temptation? It is written. And the devil even tried to use scripture against Jesus and Jesus responded. He said, nah, you got that one wrong. But there are some of those thoughts that you're having that you know sound like God that probably are. So how do I know if an impression is from God, the devil, or myself? Well, I'm gonna tell you, I asked myself some questions. Question number one, you already know what it is. Is the impression consistent with the Bible? God's not gonna contradict himself. To be really honest, most impressions are specific ways to fulfill a command of scripture or a principle of scripture. Like my phone call. This phone idea to call a friend of mine. I know the scripture says encourage one another. So what if the call was just to give a word of encouragement, just say, hey, I was thinking about you, love you. What if I found out that he was having a difficulty like he was? Now I can think of the scripture, bear one another's burdens, and in that way you fulfill the law of Christ. So now, because I had a thought, call so-and-so, and I took a step to do that, I got to be in a God-ordained moment. And now this family just didn't have their pastor calling, but God, they knew, was a part of something because I dare had just enough courage to step out and make a phone call. Is it consistent with the word of God? Number two, is this how I would normally think? You gotta know yourself pretty well. If it's a thought that you would normally have, it doesn't mean it's not from God, you just need to think twice about it. Like, if I'm at a buffet and I get to the end and there is a rich chocolate cake with nice chocolate icing, And I hear a voice, and it says, take thou, David, and eateth. (laughs) I'm going to think twice about that one because I like chocolate a lot. I am utterly convinced that every food in heaven will taste like chocolate. I believe that sin messed up that. I think originally in the Garden of Eden, broccoli tasted like chocolate. Sin came into the equation, messed it up. Some are unredeemable, like tomatoes, unredeemable. They just have nothing whatsoever. Maybe in heaven they'll taste like chocolate. I don't know. But everything's going to taste like chocolate. That's my thought. Now, does it mean if I hear that that it's not God? No. Maybe I've had been really good on the way I'm trying to eat better. And he's like, hey, take a little bite. Be good for you. Enjoy. It's okay. Celebrate. Maybe it's a celebration. It could be God. I just need to think twice about it. If I would normally think that way, then I think twice about it. If I wouldn't normally think that way and it glorifies God, almost always God. The other day, I was doing my purify session. I hope you're doing purify still. I hope you're going session by session. I'm going to ask you if you're behind, but most of you are behind. It's okay. Just jump back in. Do a session or two a week. You'll be fine. It's 11 sessions. You can do it at any time or period. I'm behind. I'm in like session three right now. We're supposed to be doing session five this week. If you're new around Beltway Park and you're saying, I have no idea what Purify is, go to guest services. We have a Purify book for you. It's self-explanatory. We're going to jump in and find freedom in Jesus. I, by the way, you want to know what Purify is about? Purify is about hearing God through the scripture and hearing God through impressions. That's all we're doing. And I was doing the checklist on how we defend ourselves. And I was going through, and I was like, yes, no, yes, no. I hit one that something inside of me went yes, but another part of me went no. And I ain't going to tell you which one because it's none of your business, okay? Um, And I knew the likelihood is it was God. And I started wrestling, and my thought was, 
This is an issue I used to wrestle with, but I don't wrestle with it anymore. I don't need to check it. And then when I did that, all of a sudden I had a thought about two weeks ago where I used this to defend myself in an inappropriate way. And then I had to go, well, yeah, that happened, but I don't do it near as often as I used to. And then I had another thought, and that thought was, well, David, do you want to be mainly free or do you want to be completely free? I want completely free. And so I said, yes, sir, I checked it, and I prayed it at the end that I would be completely free because I don't want an ounce of anything that would hold me in bondage. Amen? I knew it was God because it wasn't how I would normally think. Question number three, do I have to rely on God for strength? Most things God will lead you to, you can't do in your own strength. You're gonna feel uncomfortable, you're gonna feel awkward, you maybe look like a fool. If God doesn't show up, if he's not doing something, you're gonna wrestle, we have to depend on God. Question number four, does the impression lead me to love God or love others more? Man, if it's causing me to love God, love others, and it glorifies God, guess what? Probably him. Last question I ask myself, are the consequences so big that I don't need to reject this, I just need to ask for further confirmation? I mean, there is a difference between making a phone call to a person you kinda know and moving your family halfway around the world. So maybe if I have an impression that I am supposed to move to this faraway land to do work for God, that could be God. But maybe I can ask for further confirmation of that and such. If you go to group tonight, this week, and you have an impression to give somebody $10, you're probably gonna be able to take that and say, no big deal, I got $10. Probably the biggest problem most of you have is whether you have $10 in your wallet, because we use plastic all the time. Just a side note, how are you ever gonna bless anybody with any money if you ever have any money on you? So what if you just put some money in your wallet just for blessing money? Not coffee money, not any of that stuff, just blessing money, and then God can speak to you, you can use it. And you say, well, if I don't have it, I can't give it. Well, you're missing the blessing, but that's another message. But let's suppose right now you're getting another impression, and that impression is not $10, you're getting the impression that, man, I should empty out my checking account and my retirement accounts and give it all to Pastor David. That is from God, do it right now. The implications are huge. So why wouldn't we go, okay, God, I heard you. I think this might be you. Can you confirm that further? This would be massive for my family. This would be massive for people in my life. Why don't you just speak it? I will tell you this exactly how we got to Beltway Park as a family. Had a leading and said, God, this is going to be either the worst thing we've ever done or the best thing we've ever done. I just need you to confirm it. And God confirmed it through various ways. Are you hearing me? Guys, I can tell you story after story of God speaking and how it's brought to life. I can tell you a lot of mistakes, too, because that's how you're going to grow. He speaks because he wants to lead us to more. He wants to lead us to abundance. And you may be thinking, Pastor, I, I don't know that I know how to hear God like that. Let, let, let me tell you the biggest mistake you'll ever make in hearing God. It's at least the biggest mistake I've made. You can decide if it's true of you. Biggest mistake I've made is I often act like God is not my shepherd who leads, but he's a consultant that I can bring in to talk things over so I can decide what to do. In essence, I listen for God when I want to listen for God. And he's down the road because he's taken off walking. He's called my name and said, I'm going to abundance. You want to go or not? And he's so gracious that he'll circle around sometimes and come back and do it again and do it again. And the big issue I have is I don't embrace him like my shepherd. Sheep, just listen to the voice and follow. So I'm gonna tell you, 
knowing how God speaks is not the most important thing about hearing God. It's important, but it's not key. The key is want to. The key is desire. The key is, here am I, Lord, your servant is listening. I was reading it this morning. My regular Bible reading, 1 Samuel chapter 3. The story of Samuel, you got to read it. And Eli, the priest, told Samuel, next time you hear this voice, say, here am I, your servant is listening. If we took that posture, God, whatever it is you're saying, I want to hear it. I don't want to be about me. I mean, how arrogant is it for me to think I'm the sinner and the God of the universe, I bring him in to consult me. Instead of just saying, good shepherd who laid down his life for me, wherever you go, I'll follow. Here's your servant. Here am I. I'm listening. So how about we do this? Let's bow our heads before we hop out of here. Just a minute or two here. Come on. I challenge you to say, here am I, Lord. You can use one word in the Hebrew, hineni. Here am I, Lord, your servant is listening. Would you help us, God, to make that our posture in everything? Jeffrey did a great job of talking about identity last week, and one of our places of identity is just to see ourselves as a sheep. And we've got it the best of shepherds. I just need to yield control. Shepherd, whatever it is you want to do wherever you want to go, here am I. Did you ask for grace for that? Maybe, maybe you need grace to engage the Word of God better. It's like, David, the Bible's so new to me. I'll give you a clue. Start in Matthew, two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Just use the New Testament right now. Read the New Testament two or three, four times. Begin to understand Jesus and the heart of Jesus because he's the word that became flesh. We understand the whole Bible through Jesus, so let's get to know Jesus first. We'll worry about the rest of the Bible later. Just engage it. Start engaging. Chapter a day, two chapters a day, three chapters a day. And I think you're going to start hearing it more and more. Just ask for grace for it right now. Do you ask for grace to pay better attention to those impressions, especially the ones that are from God? They're happening, I promise you, because the sheep hear his voice. We just got to learn to recognize it. So, Father, that's what we ask. Wherever we are in our journey, some of us are very mature in this. Thank you for that grace. But we find ourselves at times sliding off and not paying attention. Help us pay attention, Lord. Some of us are brand new and feels overwhelming. Like newborns, Father, would you just take us step by step and will you help us hear your voice? We know that abundance is found. More is found as we hear and follow your voice. Give us grace to recognize it, courage to obey it, I ask in Jesus' name.